Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we are set to talk about the blind side. Last week, we talked about uh, the field of dreams, and Chris Seibert was with me. Uh, This week, this Wednesday evening, I do have Father Mike with me, but with a bit of a nuance. He is not in Chico. He is in uh, Arizona, right, Father <laughs> Mike? In Arizona. I'm on my way. I'm in. I'm in Sacramento today, headed to Arizona. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, wherever you are, <laughs> you can join us because <laughs> you're on here on your cell phone, and and I do appreciate you joining me this evening, Father Mike, because certainly our listening audience looks forward to these conversations that have led to uh, many new conversations for other people who enjoy watching movies. So I do appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule, a schedule that um, even has some vacation time. And and you're going to have to forgive me for pulling you away from some of your vacation time. (laughs) But uh, anyhow, Father Mike, uh, as I noted, we're going to talk about the blind side. We're set to talk about the blind side. But before we talk about the blind side, I wanted to first talk about and kind of rekindle some of that subject matter we talked about in the first week on von Balthasar right? Who is von Balthasar? I did get that question last week. Joe, you mentioned him, but I didn't hear the first week. So von Balthasar is a Swiss theologian who in many ways we have built this program upon. He once famously came up with an analogy to think about salvation history. Reflecting upon human history, he noticed what really he described as an incredible drama. Uh, Hence, he developed this notion of the theater of the world or as I think you mentioned in our first week, Father Mike, the global theater. Now, we've seen this picked up elsewhere. John Paul II uh, once said when talking about history, he says, you know, history is not some random series of chronological events, but an event of freedom, an event of man, a drama. The idea, of course, of global theater isn't original to von Balthasar. Greek and, and Roman classical thought had developed the idea of world history as as a play, Father Mike, in which the gods, you know, had assigned various roles to humans. What von Balthasar did was refine the notion, uh, this notion of the global theater, in light of what the Bible has to say about God's interaction with the human race and how God entered the stage of history and became what we could call the lead protagonist of history, revealing to us the fullness of humanity, that in the end, Cinema and the stage is haunted by Christ and what it means to be fully human. That being said, as we have talked about how the stage affords us the opportunity to reflect upon our own humanity and certainly what that can do for us, we have yet to talk about Father Mike sport. And is there a greater stage today? I was thinking about that question as I was driving over here today. Is there a greater stage today uh, than sport, a stage that we can interact with? Uh, I know, Father Mike, as we were talking about this earlier, certainly this was a point of reflection for you. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, the the image of sport as it connects firstly to our uh, spiritual uh, 
kind of project in the show and reflecting on human life and spirituality and whatnot. I mean, St. Paul himself picks up that image of uh, sport in the, in the Roman world and whatnot. And so there's certainly, for our discussion and our application to spirituality, I mean, the, the sport and the athlete, and those images are ancient, uh, at this point, Christian images to speak of uh, community and teamwork and training and the goal and all of that. Um, but, but I'm also struck, even in our contemporary culture and stepping away from spirituality, how um, there's this intuitive connection for athletes between sport uh, and sport as kind of a staged event and the platform which sport provides to allow them to, to uh, advocate for certain uh, political or social uh, mm. Hmm. interests and concerns. And so even, you know, you might ask yourself the question, why are some of these athletes suddenly moral authorities in this or that yeah. or the other area? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and when people push on that, you know, oftentimes the reaction on the part of the athlete is, well, why would I not use this platform? Hmm. Uh, so the idea, what we're talking about here uh, in terms of sports as a, pla- as a platform for discourse and for advocacy and for change, I mean, that that's... Uh, I would say, even now, fairly intuitive for people. Yeah, and so we have this uh, movie, The Blind Side, a movie that's, of course, tied to the gridiron football. Once upon a time, baseball was America's national pastime. And I don't know if we can say that anymore. I I think today it has become, for better or worse, football. And football players have, for one reason or another, and it's kind of what you just spoke to, have become moral authorities. <laughs> you know, suddenly, yeah. we're not quoting the gospel, we're, we're quoting this quarterback or that quarterback. And if it's not football, it's basketball, and, and we're quoting LeBron James or Kobe Bryant and so on and so forth. As to this conversation of what is the national pastime or what do people watch, I would just like to suggest to you that uh, real dignified people watch golf. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. I, but I know now, that last week we, we had a bit of I'll give you the benefit of the doubt because <laughs> for the first time, uh, maybe ever, I actually sat down to watch some of the Masters as we kind of went back and forth a little bit a few weeks ago. I, I did take time out of my Sunday to, to sit down, so maybe I'm becoming more dignified. I, I don't know. <laughs> <But> <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I do sit down to watch a little football, but in saying that, the blind side, before this program digresses. Now, the blind side, Father Mike, is really a fascinating, again, true story that revolves around what we could say the unlikely relationship between the Tuies and Michael Orr, and even more specifically, we should say the mother, Leanne Tuie, of course, played by Sandra Bullock, and her uh, adopted son, Michael Orr. Michael Orr is a homeless black teen who has more or less drifted in and out of the school system for years. Then Leanne Tuie and her husband, Sean, take him in. The Tuies eventually become Michael's legal guardians, And as the true story plays out that is captured on the screen, what we come to find is that Michael has tremendous size. Michael Orr has tremendous size and protective instincts that make him a formidable force on the gridiron. Uh, The blind side is typically tied to the left tackle position in football. You're protecting the blind side uh, of the quarterback. And and so he became this, this great left tackle. But it wasn't without the help, of course, of his new family, Leanne and Sean Tui. And as the movie highlights, his devoted tutor. Now, jumping to the scene that really gets this movie started and our discussion on 
uh, the redemptive elements of this true story started is when the Tui family, as a whole family, if you will, first encounters uh, Big Mike. And there's Leanne Tui as they approach Big Mike, and she asks her son, uh, who is this young man? And her, her son says, oh, that's Big Mike. And so they stop the car, and, and Leanne Tui gets out of the car and inquires, you know, would you have a place to stay tonight? And oh, by the way, don't lie to me. <laughs> he kind of shamefully looks at her and says, no, I don't. And she takes him in, and, and ultimately that is the beginning of this beautiful, unlikely relationship. This moment, Father Mike, really caught my attention because it was the moment that we all encounter. How many times have we either been in a car or out of the car and asked the question, what if I approach this person? What if I stop? What if I did this or, or, or did that? And we don't do anything. And then we turn that question of what if into, oh, you know what? I almost serve God this way or, or I almost serve God that way. I think what we're missing here is, well, a number of things, but the first of which is, as opposed to asking the question of, of what if, or, or, oh, I almost did that, looking at, at this person as a human being. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me how I uh, have struggled to reframe that question in my own life when you, you come across uh, whatever person it might be and however inconvenient that impulse might be. Instead of asking, uh, what if I were to do A, B, or C for this person, I think the question is better reframed, um, who is this person to me? Amen. You know, uh, when I think of the, um, it's interesting, you know, when we look at uh, Matthew's, in the Gospel, Matthew's account of judgment in the 25th chapter, he doesn't talk about a lot of the things that we feel guilty or good about, you know, morally speaking. The judgment for Matthew is this question, what did you do or did you not do for the least? Because what you did or did not do for them, you did or did not do for me. For Matthew, that's the judgment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when we come across an inconvenient person and find ourselves asking, what might I, could I, should I do? I think maybe we need to reframe that process mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and ask first, uh, try to recognize that uh, not uh, what might I do in my life, but who is it who now uh, stands before me? I was reading a book uh, just yesterday or the day before uh, by C.S. Lewis, and he was talking about the holiest thing that is placed before man's awareness is his neighbor. Mm. Mm. Because this is the one with whom he's destined to live forever. Um, one who, if we were to see his dignity called to share in the life of heaven, we might be tempted to to worship him. Mm. I mean, so so magnificent is the neighbor in terms of dignity and destiny. And so when somebody comes along and, re and we recognize, I, this person, I, I probably could do a lot to help this this person, we ought to first maybe reframe and, and step into that recognition. Um, what you do, what you do not do from this point on, you do or you do not do for the Lord. That brings a great deal of tension, of course, because uh, sometimes it's hard to know what, what is authentically uh, serving and what, it, what isn't. But I think for the Christian to, to bypass that tension is, is a great disservice. I am um, and then I would maybe just make this point. I, I was struck in this movie by the providence that somehow makes itself contingent on the willingness of this mother to ask the question and to follow it up. You know, that in a sense, um, providence makes us a part of the plan. And uh, there for me is the what if. that all, all of the things the Lord was able to do in and through and for this young man 
were in some ways contingent on this woman's willingness to say yes. Yeah. I mean, do we look at each encounter as just another coincidence or, again, a God incident? Um, Mm -hmm. Is this a moment that has been ordained by God or just another moment? (laughs) God wants to invade our ordinary life with his superordinary love that that we would live a superordinary life in the ordinary way we live. That he made heaven hinge on the way we act toward him in his disguise of commonplace and in his disguise of ordinary humanity is what is so revolutionary about Christianity. And of course, we could never say that we didn't have that opportunity because that opportunity is before us each and every day. Sure, and what I think is so important here is the role in, in Christian life and in service of the neighbor, the role of discernment. And, and the movie really plays this out, because what I'm not saying is uh, go down and pick up somebody at the gas station, put them up in your house, you know? Sure, uh, sure. But, but uh, what, what began as a recognition of the, this kid's presence, what began as, as a recognition of his need, what began as something simple, and then over time developed into deeper commitments from the family. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that they, they kind of model for us in a sense that, yes, these issues can be complicated, and sometimes it's not so clear what the right thing is. But beginning with the recognition of somebody's need and somebody's worth, and then committing to an ongoing process of discernment, mm-hmm. I think is, is kind of the model for us. I, I do want to say just one thing, just as a, you know, as a Christian and as a disciple of the Lord myself, and, and I find that so much of the, like, relationship with God is uh, actualized in the context of invitations that are so easily dismissed. Mm. Like, mm. I could do this, or maybe I even should, but, but no, I, I won't. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. How many times in a day do we feel that, that little nudge, and we just dismiss it without considering it uh, very much? I, case in point, I was going to visit a, uh, an elderly lady in her uh, a care home oh, a couple of months ago, and, you know, I went there, and this was the third time I tried to see her, and again, she wasn't there. I said, well, you know what? She can call me, and when she's ready, and when she's home, I'll come back. And as I was walking, uh, something inside of me just said, uh, Mike, go back, go back, and just double-check mm. one more time. Mm. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm busy. I shouldn't have to. I was here on time. I waited 20 minutes. I had these other things. But the, again, that, that small voice, go back. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk close enough. I'm not going back in there, but I'll walk close enough to the front door just because I, my car's there anyway. And as I got closer, I stepped through the door, and there she was. You mm. know, and we had uh, probably one of the more meaningful and more important uh, pastoral uh, conversations and encounters I've had in a long time, Amen. which would have been totally missed um, had I dismissed that kind of small stirring the way I tend to do. And so if there's, if there's a value for me or a challenge to draw out from this one encounter in the movie, it's... Um, that small, still voice that the prophet speaks of, those little stirrings that touch us all of the time in our encounters, I feel like the, the vast majority of our relationship with God works itself out in moments like this, and in a willingness to say yes, maybe not to what the person is asking for, but to commit to a process of recognizing the need and the dignity of the person, and also committing to a process of discernment. I was talking with a good friend of mine the good friend says to me, and this was, oh, some six months ago, Father Mike, he says, we say nudging, we say stirring, but isn't it inspiring, right? Isn't it the Holy Spirit who is inspiring us to do something? And that really got my attention because we might not think a whole lot about it, you know, nudging, stirring, prompting, but 
We have talked about the importance of words. Inspire speaks to what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us more definitively. And as you talk about discernment, that process of coming to understand, uh, the Holy Spirit is inspiring all of those, well, call it what you will, (laughs) nudging, you know, stirrings, promptings, for us to act. And again, this is what the the theodrama is all about, acting. And when we do, and I thought this to be another big point, Father Mike, for me in the movie at least, is when she's, you know, hanging out at the the countertop with her friend, this Leanne Tui, her girlfriend says, boy, you're changing that boy's life, honey. (laughs) And there's this kind of pregnant pause, and she responds, no, he's changing mine. Yeah. No, he's yeah. changing mine. We so often think that we are the one ministering to those who are without, but what we don't realize is that the poverty that we are ministering to is actually ministering to us because it is the poverty of Christ ministering to us. And yeah. this, I believe, to be just not important to this movie, but Father Mike, a quintessential truth to the spiritual life. Once we understand that <laughs> when we are ministering to those who are in need— those who are in need are actually ministering to us, there's a, a bit of change of perspective. And then what we find is, yeah, that invitation becomes all the more real, and, and we want to be a part of that. Yeah, I, w- I want to take a step back and then a step forward, just to hit this uh, point of inspiration one more time, because I think it's so important. And, and sure, I think what, sure. what we're trying to unpack here is simply this, that, that people hear God's voice all the time, and they dismiss it because they think it couldn't possibly be God. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so on the one hand, I think that that we can own that more. We have a God who really does speak, and He really does speak to people like you and me. The flip side of that, and and why I want to emphasize the second uh, point of discernment is, on the other hand, the risk is people assume that a voice is God without ever discerning that Mm -hmm, voice. mm -hmm. And so I think that these two things, uh, inspiration and discernment, uh, they they have to be held tightly together Mm. and maybe embraced more by Christian people, the both of them. Yeah. Um, I, I'm totally with you in terms of ministry. It's too easy, particularly in our culture, where looking at somebody's pedigree and their credentials and power, and you know um, that that a ministry service is always about relationships, and relationships are never about credentials or pedigree or power. You know, and the temptation for us to say, "I'm the doctor and you're the patient," or "I'm the priest and you're the parishioner," or the you know the teacher and the student. But the truth is, if it's a relationship, certainly there are boundaries, responsibilities, expectations. Um, but we, I think we have to do away with the illusion that my a power or ability to help you makes me more than you are. It's uh, authentic ministry in the Church is always uh, a question of a relationship, and there's some kind of mutuality. Paul uses the image of the body. You know, that, that there are these different parts, but not one of those parts can say to the other, I don't need you. I mean, the poor boy in this movie needs the money and the protection of the family and the, and the support that the family can provide. But on the same token, um, this family needs his poverty to become the kind of people that God's asking them to be. Yeah. I was watching some follow-up on this movie, and I had watched an interview with uh, Collins Tui, the daughter, and she had remarked that when Michael Orr came into our life, when Michael Orr came to our family, we had a new center. I thought, mm. huh, that's mm. interesting. Where's she going with this? And she talked yeah. about how they were no longer just watching television, but they were playing games around the dinner table. They were no longer yeah. on the phone, but talking with one another. That there was this, 
this new center because there was an other, there was a thou, right? Here again, we can bring in the ego drama, the theodrama. God had, had placed Michael Orr in the life of uh, Leanne Tui and the Tui family, and it radically transformed their lives by their own admission. So one could fairly ask, who did more for whom here? That's it. I mean, <laughs> really, that question puts a spotlight on this much larger point. And as it does, we should ask another question, I think, here, Father Mike. As we are talking about the gift and the receiving of the gift, what we are talking about here is the nature of love itself, right? And as G.K. Chesterton reminds us, the nature of love binds. And when that nature is rooted in truth, what binds at the same time gives life. It's, it's life-giving. So as uh, Leanne Tui is at the service of Michael Orr, and Michael Orr's receptivity gives birth to these life-giving moments to the Tui family, we see how love itself gives birth to new life, and how, in turn, Father Mike, as we apply this to our everyday life, how we are called to go to the margins, and when we do go to the margins, the life we give is also a life we receive, and that life binds, builds up, and ultimately brings about the much deeper reality of God. Yeah, what strikes me about watching our Pope Francis is, I mean, he does a lot in the setup, uh, you know, institutionally and otherwise, to provide showers and food and support, uh, to speak about the issue and to raise awareness of uh, charity, particularly for the poor. But what's interesting in watching him move is a lot of times that he's in a motorcade or he's out and, and, and he's approached by or approaches a homeless person. He doesn't really do anything for them. He doesn't give them money. What he does do, which I would suggest is the first thing, is he treats them like a human being. Mm-hmm. He encounters Amen. them. Uh, you see him, uh, there's an embrace, they ask your name, some piece of the story. Um, this is Paul Benedict, the 16th, in his first encyclical, Deus Caritas S. He says, the hungry, they always need bread. But what they hunger for first is the bread of our humanity. That, that sometimes uh, our poverty, whatever shape that poverty takes, kind of leaves us alone and somehow subhuman. And uh, the first gift we can do, or maybe the first move, is to recognize the other as other, as you said so well, and uh, and give them that gift of, of being a human in our eyes. And then from there, the discernment can begin in terms of what more um, might God be asking or might He not be asking of me. You know, Father Mike, as I listen to you right now, I can't help but think and, and ask the question, what brings each saint together? What is the golden thread that binds all the saints together but their love for the poor? And their love for the material poor, yes, but also their love for those who are in need for love itself, right? As you just spoke to it, and as Benedict Sixteenth just spoke to it, they hunger for the bread of humanity. And once we are present to those who are in need, then guess what? we will then be able to be present to the next thing they need, whether that is the material good or spiritual good. And once we are present to the next thing they need, we will then be able to be present to the next thing they need, and it will manifest accordingly, however God desires to manifest. It will manifest, so be present to the manifestation, be be present to the revelation. This, I think, is really what is at the heart of the new evangelization. You know, I'm often asked the question, what is the one word that best defines the new evangelization? My answer invariably is encounter. Bring the presence of Jesus Christ 
to other. Allow other to encounter Christ in and through you. Yeah, and so if I, if I were to take all of this and then and return to our theme, uh, you know, what is the experience of watching this movie, and how does it, how does this drama speak to our need to reflect upon ourselves? You know, I, what this movie does for me, first of all, is all of that kind of noble sense of generosity and calling and doing good for the poor and helping the underdog and all that. It, it's wonderful to see that those values played out to a happy ending and in a successful, wonderful, noble way. You know, it says to us as we watch, and I think every one of us would want, as you watch the movie, to put ourselves in the position of the powerful family who's using their power to do good for someone who needs it. And this story seems to suggest that that can actually work out wonderfully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the other thing that struck me, and this is one of the few movies that, that we have done that is actually not, not somebody's work of fiction or the creation of a story, but it's based on, on, a, on a true story. And I think that, too, I mean, we always want to know, is this, is this, was this based on the true story or was it not, you know? Um, but, that somehow it, it, it bridges the gap for us and says all of these values and all of the valor that we see played out here, it's real. It's not just a movie. It, it's really, it really happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that is so pleasurable, first of all, to watch. And, it, and that's where a lot of the really inspiring power comes from for me. Perhaps one of the most uh, powerful moments of the movie was at the end, you know, when when he's getting drafted into the NFL, they cut to footage from that moment, and you see the actual people now no longer families. Yeah, You see that yeah. all of this stuff that we're kind of dreaming about in the movies and talking about and portraying, uh, these are real people, and they're alive, and you could go talk to them if you mm. wanted to. Mm. Um, I think that, that that really bridges the gap between the world stage as that place of reflection and the world stage in which we actually have to go out and live this stuff. Yeah, and for me, Father Mike, just piggybacking on what you just said, if I could draw out one last point of emphasis, it would be on Leanne Tui herself, who again was, of course, played by Sandra Bullock. She was a tenacious gal. She lived and lives a very purpose-driven life. This was made clear in this movie. She approached life with a sense of zeal, with a sense of fervor. She was a dynamo, right? I couldn't help but think, gosh, if we were proactive in our own Christian and Catholic faith in the same way that Leanne Tui was and is, we could be that best version of who God is calling us to be. And not just that, and, and this is again something that the movie illustrated so beautifully, she was present to everyone around her. So there was this combination of tenacity and presence. And I believe that to be, again, just a very unique formula for someone who is going to make a difference. I mean, if you look at all of the saints, they were tenacious in their own way and always present to other as God called them to be present to other. Amen, amen. All right, Father Micah, before we close with a word of prayer, just an invitation to our listening audience to continue to send those movies you want us to talk about. I know there have been some requests to talk about movies that are in the movie theater, but no specific movies. So I'm going to ask that you send us those movies you want us talking about that are actually in the movie theater, and, and we will do that. All right, Father Mike, can you close us with a word of prayer? Good and gracious Father, we give you thanks for all the ways in which uh, you would call us to you call us to encounter you in our brothers and sisters. We ask for your strength uh, to love you in them, and we ask for your blessing, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen, Amen. and God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.